Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares about what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who Pedro Hardy is. But before we do, let me tell you a few things about what Pedro has done. So Pedro opened up his own brokerage uh, May of 2021, so about 11 months in. He has nine people on his team, and they have done 39 transactions in the 10, 11 months that they've been in business. So they're off to a wonderful start, as everybody expected. No disrespect intended, Pedro, but who really cares about that? Let's talk about Pedro the person. And before we do, I think it was Molly's father who coined this phrase. And I use it from time to time. I don't get to use it enough. But what my partner Molly's dad used to say is, you can't teach cool. And you're a cool guy. So I've always felt that from the day I met you. Cool guy, charismatic guy. And, you know, to see you running your own brokerage is not a surprise. And it's been fun to see the path that you're on. And, you know, you're going to have continued success. But let's talk about everything that got you there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you for having me here. This is big for me. And I think this is big for the community. Mm -hmm. Just to have someone like yourself that is very fortunate, has been in business a while, and don't need to do this. Let's be honest. You don't need to be here at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday talking to little old Pedro Hardy. Um, so I really appreciate that. Some of us are in it for the commission. Others are in it for the mission. You and I are in it for the mission. So it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, thank you. So let's take it back as, as far as you want to go. Little Pedro. So I'm from the inner city of Milwaukee. Grew up with a single mother, seven kids total. Not a lot of resources. It's your typical story, right? You have drugs, abuse, right? Gambling, whatever you hear in the news, basically, is my life story. Um, and I think that, well, actually, I'm the second of seven now to have a high school diploma. My brother, Juni, he just, he's in prison right now, and he just got his high school diploma. So, you know, I'm really proud of him. But I'm the only one that went to college, the only one that took that path. And it was because of seeing all the struggles that my mom went through. Had an abusive boyfriend. And growing up, seeing your mom's teeth knocked out a couple of times is, and it kind of opens your eyes real quick that uh, you're not in Kansas anymore. So I was the type of kid that school starts at 7.30. I'll be at the basketball court at 5 a.m. No alarm clock. I just, I just wanted to escape my reality. And I had my uncle, shout out to my uncle, Carlos, bought me a basketball. And um, that was like my favorite Christmas gift of all time. And so my childhood, uh, it wasn't the greatest, but I appreciate it because it, it makes me who I am today. And where I'm from, most people don't, quote unquote, make it out the hood. Right. So you're in grade school yeah. and you see all these crazy things going on around you, but you went to school every day. Yeah. Did you manage to get decent grades? You must yeah. have. Yeah, okay. I did. Was that a priority at home? To be honest, no. I okay. think the priority was home was making it to the next day, to be honest with you. My mom, she really did her best to keep us together. She really, I do admire her for not giving up because she could have gave up a lot. But she just saw the solution is the man had to be with someone to give my kids a better life. 
versus like, I'm gonna do it on my own. I just never, growing up, I never understood like, why do you love him more than us? And I didn't, you know, to this day, me having two kids, I know she didn't love him more than us. I think she was just so scared that, I mean, she had me when she was 16. Wow. My oldest brother when she was 14. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you're bouncing around. Trying the, to survive. Yeah, trying to survive. So it's like she didn't have time to say, hey, let's focus on your your grades. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to make sure you have food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I admire her for that. I used to pray at night, just say, can I just have a normal day? Wow. You know, and my family's not terrible. Let me not say that. Like, I love my family. Without my uncle, Carlos, um, I wouldn't be talking to you today. He's the one that really set me straight. He's the one that went to college. He's, he owns a body shop now, and he's always been a mechanic, you know, but that was his trade, and he's proud of it. Business owner, homeowner, which is real big in our community. For sure. When you were in grade school, did you want to be a basketball player? Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I, I played every sport. I was actually... I, you know, this will be, people are going to laugh about this. I was in gymnastics. Nice. So whatever after school program was available, I was in it just because I didn't want to go home. Yeah. So like gymnastics, ballet, wearing tights. Mm-hmm. I was in a dance club and uh, we got picked on. I'm sure. Yeah. All right. But then they also knew like I was the best basketball player in my elementary school. Mm. So like I got away with a couple of things that most people would have got bullied for just because like, oh, well, well he's still... He's still Pedro. Actually, we moved in middle school. We went to um, my mom. She had to leave Milwaukee and we went to Florida and uh, we were at a place called New Smyrna Beach. It's one of the most racist places you ever really? meet. Huh. Um, we were right across the street from a golf course and it would burn crosses. And it, it was kind of funny because I was like, wait, this stuff really happens? Like we're from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we see burning crosses are like, yeah. You can't unsee that, though. No. Um, and we were, you know, picked on and, you know, all that stuff. And my uncle, Carlos, basically helped move this to Orlando. And then we were in the projects in Orlando. We're basically the only Hispanic family in the whole black area. And um, it was it was rough. It was rough. But then um, Hurricane Charlie came. We didn't have a lot of resources to start with. But then you take away all our resources we had to come back to Milwaukee, and then I went to South Division. And then South Division, um, shout out to Coach Matthews. He saved my life. My uncle was still in Florida at this time, and my football coach really treated me like his son. You know, my family was in gangs, and people knew that. And they thought that I was going to be the next one up to take over. And it was just, you know, I don't know what it was, but I just didn't want that lifestyle. I just I wanted something better. I wanted it's so funny. Um, I always wanted a family, like, you know, when the Hardys walk in, mm-hmm. like that last name. Me and my brothers, we all have different dads and stuff. I always wanted that in life. Like, that was the one thing in high school and college. I was like, man, one day I'm going to have the Hardys walk in. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, that for some reason drove me to go to college. Yeah, a vision. Yeah, yeah. a vision of a happy home, mm-hmm. you know, which I have today, which I'm extremely blessed to have. So, mm-hmm. so you go to school. Was that a scholarship or did you have to borrow to go to school or did you work your way through? Um, we got some grants because I play sports. Um, so UW-Stevens Point got some grants. And it was so funny because I used to have football letters every week. I had shoeboxes full of football letters. A lot of D3, D2 schools, few D1s, nothing too crazy. But it was like 
my I, I think my football coach because he really got me out there. The exposure like this kid could play, et cetera. And this was for football, not basketball. And um, my best friend, which is his son, went to Stevens Point, was going to Stevens Point. And then shout out to Scott West, another of those guys, Influence. He was the recruiter of Stevens Point, and he was doing it for, I think, 25 years, just retired last year. And um, he came to my house in the hood and had dinner with us. I'm like, this white guy is crazy. And got to Stevens Point, and I met a lot of good people that are my best friends today. And there I met, I didn't meet a lot of white people growing up. So my perception of the white person was, wasn't good just because it was bad cops. It was scammers, you know, try to whatever. And so when I met my dorm mates that were white, you know, I'm the only minority in the whole dorm hall. It was an eye opener. Like these people ain't bad. Mm-hmm. I met bad people and, you know, Joey, Paul Teleski, my teachers, my professors at Stevens Point, they were just like Thanksgiving. They invited me to their home because I didn't couldn't go home for Thanksgiving. I didn't know where my mom was at that time. Um, so, like to have Thanksgiving with just random white people, um, it just opened my eyes. Like, wow, like there's really good in this world. I'm never gonna. How do you call it? I guess it's prejudice, right? Because that's the form of prejudice. Is I'm judging you based off your skin color, which obviously they were doing to me, but the people that I met were just white, were just most kindest people I ever met in my life, which I'm still talking to them today. Like I'm still friends with them. So, so you go through school. It sounds like a good experience other than the grades, which a lot of us can say, what did life look like when you got out of school? Well, um, I was at Stevens point for two years and I transferred to Wisconsin Lutheran college, coach Miller, another Mm -hmm. influential guy. At Wisconsin Lutheran, I learned how to be a man. What does that mean? It means like, like Coach Miller really taught me the world is not fair and you could cry about it or you could do something about it. Mm. And my uncle, Coach Matthew, Scott West, they kind of said it, but Coach Miller was the first one to like enforce it. And he never gave me any slack. He never, because the world wouldn't give me slack. So the work ethic really came now. Mm. Like you want something, work for it. And so I became a man um, and just found out college wasn't for me. College was, you know, I don't have mom and dad money and I want to keep getting in debt. For what? For a job I'm going to hate, you know. So I got a full-time job, became a recruiter and a staffing recruiter at a staffing agency and just blew it out the water. I love helping people. And that was the first time that I found out service doesn't have to be money. Like service, you can get enjoyment from service, customer service by actually helping people. And it was like, wow, someone, I helped someone make $10 an hour to now 15. That's a huge jump. That's a huge different paycheck every week. And just to see their life change and some of the people, quote unquote, temps, right? That's where they're called before. Now our homeowners through me, it's just like, wow. I remember when you make $10 an hour, you know? Um, But after college, me and my wife got married. Shout out to Stephanie Hardy. Um, she's my she's my backbone in everything. Um, a lot of people know that my wife is white. You know, I always talk about people make jokes like he's always for the people and he married a white girl. <laughs> um, but it's funny, my wife. Yes, she's beautiful. I don't want to go over that. But what really makes her beautiful is how kind she is. So we got married and you know started the family life from there. Now you have a beautiful family. Yep, beautiful family. Which I wake up every day and say like. 
I feel like I hit the lottery every single day, you know? Now the Hardys walk in. Now the Hardy, that's go to parent teacher, uh, parent teacher conferences. I know most males don't like to go to that, right? Most husbands are like, <sighs> I get excited. Here come the Hardys, right? I'm like, yep, that's right. That's us, you know? And, um, I just love being a dad. Like, I think, first of all, being a parent is the hardest job on earth. I don't care what you do. I don't care how you do it. When you take care of a little human being 24-7. I always say um, to friends that are about to embark on having a family that kids don't listen to what you say, but they watch everything you do. And if you want them to be a certain way, then be that way. And we all tend to kind of learn that way. So let's shift gears a little bit. Sure. So let's talk about what you see, and then let's talk about what you're doing, and then let's talk about what other people can do. I love that. Um, first, shout out to Keller Williams, right? I mean, a lot of people think I have animosity towards Keller, which it's not. I love Keller Williams. I love the people I met. Obviously, you're one of them. I talked to Charlie Stale. Shout out to Charlie. You know, hopefully he's enjoying his vacation right now. I love, I admire the Stale family. Um, Maureen. She said something to me that really changed my life as an agent. She said, uh, you need to be in the 300 price points. You're a $300,000 agent. And to some, that may seem like disrespect, right? Because I could do more, right? But she was saying it because she knew I could be more than what the most minorities are doing under $100,000 listings. And that really like always stuck with me right there. And I always will love Maureen. Shout out to Maureen for that. So being an agent at the North Shore, right, it, it was it was different because I pretty, a lot of people didn't look like me. Doesn't mean I was unwelcomed, mm-hmm. right? Everyone welcomed me with open arms, 100%. It wasn't the company. It's just the industry. Mm-hmm. Because if you walk to any other big firms, right, you walk in, there's not a lot of minorities on the walls, especially top producers. And... I know as an agent now going on my, what, fifth year, it takes time to get to that point. It takes time to build that database mm-hmm. to touch people's lives in a positive way. Even though the industry is like that, to me, it's still not an excuse. Because I'm like, okay, these top producers could sell all these homes, right? But the representation of the industry is, if you send a postcard today, right? Let's say you send a postcard to Fox Point. But no disrespect, Rick. What kind of postcard are you going to send? What kind of family is going to be on that postcard? We both know it's not going to be somebody that looks like me, right? That's a good point. Right? And I get postcards at my house every day. And you know how many times there was a minority family? Zero. And I'm a mixed family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you look at who the producers are, they're, with little exception, mm-hmm. they're white people. And I've thought about that. And... If we back up for a second and just look at our business. So to get started and to survive, you generally sell homes, buy or sell to people in your sphere, people that know you, that you would invite to your wedding, et cetera, to people that you love and like. But that's only so many people, right? Let's say we all know hundreds of people. Maybe some of us know a thousand people. Even if you know a thousand people, only a handful of those people are buying or selling in every given year and to move up the next rung, you have to start selling homes to people that are so moved by you or me that they're willing to tell somebody that they like and love that, Hey, I'm going to work with Pedro. I'm going to work with Rick instead of you because 
everybody has a friend or a family member in the business. So if you look at first you work with people that know and trust you, and then you have to win over the trust of others that have people that they like or love in the business, the biggest challenge for people of color, I think, is the first step. I think the misperception is it's the, it's the second step, but most people of color aren't surrounded by people that own homes. They're surrounded by people that rent. And it's really hard to get through that first rung because you don't have people that you like or love that are in a position to buy or sell. And I think that's what keeps a lot of minority agents down. You are 100% right. And I'm not going to my own horn here, but I, I have to state this because I feel, and I, people, and I feel like the people that really know me can appreciate it. I do the 36 touch, which is a Keller Williams thing, Gary Keller, right? And, you know, me and Charlie had talks about this, right? And I can say this because, you know, Charlie is a real advocate of change, mm -hmm. right? As you agree. He's, he's one of the best well-rounded individuals I think anyone knows out there, right? Congratulations to the Red Shoe Award too, right? Well-deserving. Well but I said, Charlie, the 36 touch is easy when you grew up in the North Shore because how many agents come in within their first year and they sell 10 million because it's all family and friends and mom business and you never hear them again because now the real work starts and they don't know how to do it because everything was given to them, right? My dad's a, a surgeon. I got all his surgeon buddies. Mm -hmm. Then what, right? So like when you call about the spear, like my spear where we got people life in prison, we got people that are not here or doing drugs, or whatever. They're not focused on buying a house. They don't right. care about that, right? So here's why I toot my own horn because I saw my challenge of my own spear and I saw where I wanted to become. And now I made the 36 touch work for both sides. And how I did that was, okay, who do I want to become? I'm going to hang around those people, right? Hang around those type of people, but I'm not going to neglect my spear because my spear is going to help promote who I am to the people that don't know me who I'm hanging around now. Mm -hmm. So when those people do add me on Facebook, they see all these raving reviews from people that do know me. Now they trust me mm -hmm. versus going in a cold turkey with nothing. And I feel like I did a really good job with that. And I think people know because I consistently, I think my average price point is what, 225 or something like that. Mm -hmm. For most people with that background where I grew up, they don't have that. Like if you look at other firms right now, independent firms, let's just independent firms, right? I think I'm, me and I think Pedro at Rethought are the only two that consistently sell over $200,000 homes. But I'm changing the narrative. And most of my clients are white. I'm going to say that, but I do have a lot of minority clients that they get the exact same service as my white clients. When you go into a business like this and you have no advantages other than a vision and a heart, right? How do you make that step where you're getting people to hire you rather than the people that they love or like? My thing is this, and I don't want to make, I don't want to make it sound too business. To business E, I guess business E a word. I don't know. Um, I think that my follow up is second to none, and not to make it sound so cold heartedly, but let's be honest. People need to be reminded that you're an agent. Mm -hmm. People need to be reminded that you're a good agent, and what provide what value you're providing them, and the only value that you can consistently provide them will eventually win their trust, which comes back to follow up, mm -hmm. right? So if I don't follow up and provide bomb bomb videos every Tuesday and Thursday. If I don't do a monthly newsletter, if I don't do 
each month a CMA on a buyer or seller. They don't know if I'm an expert or not. And in my videos, they can see my personality. And that's why I do them. So this is a question that many people struggle with on all sides. How do you talk about issues of color? I'm going to ask this personally and give an example. So I think for many people in this country, most people in this country, the George Floyd situation was a searing moment similar to 9-11 for most people, regardless of what you looked like. I have a number of friends of color, and I didn't know what to do. And I think we might have spoken about this. I didn't know what to do, and I didn't know how to reach out because my friends of color, I don't view them that way. They happen to be a different color than me, but that's kind of beside the point. And I didn't reach out to them. I think I spoke to you and somebody else that I didn't know that well and said, how do you reach out to somebody of color when you see a tremendous injustice like that? And I think your answer and the other person's uh, answer, um, a, a young girl named Channing that I spoke to, was just do it. It doesn't matter what you say, just do it. And I think that a lot of us on both, you know, on all sides, don't know, really know how to discuss issues of color. Can you just shed a light on that? I think the first thing is, when someone of color speaks of color, people check out. They don't want to hear it. There's another crazy person talking about how the world is unfair, right? Or here's another person making an excuse why they don't have this because they're black or they're white or Rican, whatever the case is. When the George Floyd thing happened, and my wife could tell you this, which she's white. Um, like I said it before, I've lost a lot of business at that time. And... It was unfortunate I lost business because of, I believed in equality. I lost a lot of friends, a lot of colleagues. And when that George Floyd thing went down, I was so disappointed in so many people that without George Floyd, there wouldn't be a Hardy Realty today. And not to say like, here's why I say that. When that happened, it really opened my eyes that what our industry is, right? And when I wanted to talk about it, like, remember our little diversity stuff? And mm -hmm. you got people talking about weight. It's, weight shaming is the exact same thing as being a colored person. I'm like, what What the hell am I, where am I, why am I here right now? You could lose weight. I can't change my color. I mean, unless you're Michael Jackson, right? But um, I can't change my skin color. I remember, and I think I told you this, I got pulled over from my own listing in Whitefish Bay multiple times. And I told the cop, my name is right on that sign. Here's what I'm here for. Mm -hmm. Why do you continuously pull me over? Why, why did I get pulled over? How many times have you been pulled over during an open house at your own listing? Never, right? And this was like five times that it happened to me. And it was just like, why do I have to deal with this shit? And then when George Floyd came, this, the thing happened. I was, you know, I got tired of being politically correct. Because when you're politically correct your whole life, like, when, when can I be myself? Am I scared to be myself because then people are going to not like me? With all due respect, F them. And that's what the mentality I had. When George Floyd came out, when that thing happened, I really tried to make sure everybody was okay. White, black, everybody. My brother-in-law is a cop. He's a white cop in Milwaukee. And he is one of the coolest dudes you ever meet. He's the type of cop that he doesn't want to arrest you. He wants, you know, doesn't want to give you a ticket. Just, hey, don't act. 
don't act dumb again, right? I mean, we all met cops like that, right? That were super cool that did the right thing, quote unquote, the right thing, right? And talking to him about it and, you know, he had his views, right? Because it's quick to judge a cop, 100%, right? It's quick from, you don't know what they go through. You know how many videos of cops do the right thing and get shot? And nobody talks about that, right? Now, I'm not saying what that cop did the right thing because I feel like we all know that that was just bad, right? And it obviously had to be a black person. So now it's just amplified. But hearing these different views, then I can make my own conclusion. And I think America doesn't do that now. I think they see one thing and they jump to it versus like, let me process everything. And then let me make my conclusion. And I feel like if more people did that, we won't have... Right now, the whole world is divided red and blue, right? Like, you talk about politics anywhere, you can get crucified, right? Because you don't, you don't know what, right. <laughs> which way to go. And it's just like, because it's my way and that's it. What I see, that's what I believe. I don't care what you say. And I feel like when you come to that black and white conversation, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the barriers is, nope, I believe this. Nope, I think all black people are criminals. Hispanics all should go back to Mexico. I'm like, I was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> I've never been to Mexico. I'm not even Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican. You know, oh, you're all the same. Like, you can't change that person's perspective at all. There's no way you could change it. Sure. Right? I mean, you can't. And I learned through the, this last year, two years, that I'm going to focus on the people that like yourself. Rick, a white guy, older white guy, successful, has money. Right. Let me focus on sharing my love with you because you appreciate it. And I think you feel the same about me that I listen to your point of view and see how you right. How can I help you? Right. And when you could do more of that, focus on the right people versus focusing on the wrong people, then you start making changes. Right. We focus more on the Charlies, on the Ricks, on the Pedros, on the Shars. Right. All those type of people is going to make a change, whether the other side doesn't like it or not, it's going to change. So that's when you bring up black and white, I think like Channing said, I think her name was Channing. Mm-hmm. Just be direct about it because we know your intentions already. I know Rick, you're not racist. Mm-hmm. Now let's be honest. We've all said some dumb stuff when we are young, right. Or behind closed doors that we probably like, Oh, we shouldn't set that. Right. But that doesn't mean, I feel like everyone's a little prejudiced no matter who you are, but I feel like racist is something else. Mm-hmm. Right. Like if I'm in the middle of Addy, Milwaukee and I see no matter who it is, I'm locking my doors. And, you know, lock your doors joke. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm locking my doors regardless of what race it is. Right. And that's not is that racist? No, it's just it's, it's nighttime. It's sketchy. I'm locking my doors, sure. <laughs> you know. Um, so like you, if you had a conversation with anyone of color and they me knowing who you are. I don't think they would take it anyway, regardless of what you said. Obviously, don't don't say the N-word or anything like that, right? But regardless of what you say, they know it comes from love. But if you have someone that you know is blatantly racist, they can't have that conversation with a colored person mm-hmm. because there's it's too much hate and there's too much, nope, nope. So then the colored person gets mad. And now it's like, okay, forget you. Mm-hmm. You know, so I hope that answers. I know that was a long answer, but... No. Um, Do you think that there are more people out there that you can have that conversation with or that you can't? 100% I can. 
Yeah, I would agree. 100% can. Um, Milwaukee is the most segregated city or one of the most segregated cities in the United States. Um, and I'm opening the Florida office. I don't know if you know about that. Yeah, so I'm in the process of opening my Orlando office. And when you ask my wife why, she would tell you that I believe there's more opportunities for me. I believe I'll be more accepted because if you look at any big firm in Florida, most of the top producers, it's pretty diverse. If you look at these offices in Wisconsin, it's mostly white. White, how is Florida where more rich people are at, quote unquote, rich people, more wealth, right? How is it they have more diversity than Wisconsin? And that to me, I'm like, I still can't answer that. But uh, maybe you could have a thought on it, Rick. I don't know. You've been around a little bit longer than I, right? Yeah, I mean, sociologists would talk about how in the 50s, the Highway Act and the suburbanization of our country affected most big cities the way they affected Milwaukee, where people of color were left behind in cities and didn't have the opportunities that the white families had to repopulate in the suburbs. And then you had a shrinking tax base in the city and you had all these dynamics coming together to isolate people. Why it's better in certain parts of the country? Maybe they're newer. Maybe it's better in newer cities, cities that have grown. You know, I don't know. I don't really know what the answer is, but we all see it. Yeah. I mean, we all see it. And the most progressive cities right now seem to be the cities that are doing the best. When you embrace people of all walks of life, you have a much better pool to work from than when certain people are left out. No question. I, I love the answer because I didn't think about it that way. What I think is important is that there are a lot of people that feel like you feel. And I think you speak, not for everybody, maybe not even for most people, but you speak for a lot of people that feel that it's unjust and that you have more obstacles than other people have. And I think you feel from conversations we've had that there are kind of two sets of obstacles. One is generally people with resources have fewer obstacles than people without, regardless of your color. And then the other is, if you're a person of color, you have obstacles that other people don't. And I think it's important to allow you to express that. And I don't, I can't always respond to everything, but I want to provide you with a microphone to share. So how are those things, how do we go about correcting them? We meaning everybody working together. And what are you doing specifically to make a difference and what can I do to make a difference? And I'll try to bring you back if we get off. No, I love that. I love that because that's what this was intended for, right? Um, my hashtag is for the people. Everywhere on social media is for the people. I didn't make it up, but I feel like that's who Hardy Realty is. It's for the people. And um, I think that more conversations need to be had. But I think people need to be open to the conversation. Don't say, I want to talk to you, but then not really listen, right? We got two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? And I just feel like a lot of times when it comes to race and equality, people check out. They might be in front of you, quote unquote, listening, but they're checked out. And it's just like, this is pointless because nothing is going to be done, right? And I think that we need to stop focusing so much on money and focus on what's right, 
And because our industry is so focused on money that they will be okay putting stuff under the rug, right? I think you agree with that, right? Like most most companies, we all have bad apples in every company. Now, I'm not even talking about real estate. I'm talking about any company in general, right? The supervisor that's been prejudiced for 20 years, but he's the only supervisor that knows how to run that machine. And we deal with it. And he fires people constantly, right? I seen it happen every single day when I was in, in the staffing world. And it was just like, wow, this guy is known racist, known prejudice. You're losing turnover, you're losing business, but you're not gonna get rid of the one person because you're more fearful of replacing that person than going through 60 people that could have been your next supervisor, right? So like- Can I ask you a question and yeah. I'm not defending it and this is, these are the types of conversations I had. Yeah. If the supervisor you were describing, we're all, you're telling that story and everyone's picturing a white supervisor. If it were a, a supervisor of color and the only one that knew that machine and was treating people of different colors that way, would they, would it be the same situation? Would he be there that long? I'm asking you. All right. That, that, and that's my th first thought is, would he have the leeway that the white supervisor has? Because, again, I can say this because I physically lived through it. I remember as a staffing account manager going to people's accounts companies in Heartland, Hartford, where they said, don't bring no monkeys here. And I'm like, did you just tell me in a professional setting not to bring any monkeys here? And I was just like, what? And I couldn't do anything. You could report it to who? You can't report it to the owner because the owner is right there. That's their, that's their culture, right? And he was like, we only want, you know, Mexicans. And right hand of God, Rick, that's that's what I've been through for years, dealing with that. So it was just like, holy shit. You know, like, so when I see about the white supervisor is because I've seen it in those type of companies, which my thing is like, how are those companies able to operate in that fashion? Like, who, where is the government or whoever is in charge of equality? Why is these people not getting audited? Right now, I'm not saying you need to hire black, whites or Asian people. I'm not saying that. Even my firm, I don't care what your skin color is. Who are you as a person? That's the only way you come to my firm is if you're a good person, I can teach you real estate. I can't teach you how to be a good person, right? So when I say these things, it's not because I'm making them up or I watch TV. It's like, this is what I live through. So I see the world in a different lens than maybe someone that never saw that, right? Because it's hard to, like, I can't believe that. One of my questions was, what are you doing about it? And as an observer, yeah. I see a guy that grew up in the hood um, that started business in the North Shore. You went to a, we don't have to get into the brokerages, but you went to a Shorewood broker and then you went to a Whitefish Bay broker where you set out to prove that color doesn't matter, right? And that you were going to get business either way. So I see somebody that is trying to change it. I see it taking a toll on you. I think that choice for you is a blessing and a curse, right? Let's talk about what, what are you trying to do individually or through your team? And then what can other people do to cure the injustices that you see and feel? What do you expect from others? But let's start with you and then what do you expect from others? I'm glad you brought that up because that was very calculated. 
it was very calculated, my decision on where to go to start my career. Because I knew if I go to other brokerages, they would keep me on the Lower East Side, South Side, North Side. They wouldn't give me an opportunity to be in the high luxury. So I had to go to a specific firm. So I did everything I can to get to that firm and dealt with whatever I had to deal with there to learn the business. I mean, to this day, I still use a lot of her practices. I, re- I admire her still. So there's no hard feelings there. And then going to Keller Williams, it really helped me become better. Like I always tell any new agent, go there because you can get taught the right way. And which is sad that only one place is doing that, in my opinion. Um, but I had to get these tools and skills in order to really make a change. Because if I don't have the tools, then I'm just sound like a guy crying wolf all day, mm-hmm. right? So I had to get myself at that expert level, which again, every day we're learning a little bit more. I'm not saying I'm a guru, right? I'm just trying to be. But now I can give that information skills to my agents. And now these agents from different backgrounds, Christian, Muslim, don't believe in God at all, right? Gay, white, black, like I could give them this, the toolbox. And now the people around them can see, you know, this person is an expert too. And the people around them could start spreading the word. Like my agent's amazing, even though she's a gay, you know, she's gay. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that, that doesn't matter to me because she's the best. Right. And now more people's eyes are going to be willing to talk to people like that. When you think of Muslim, a lot of people think of bombs and all this stuff. And I'm just like, man, those are some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. Like, I don't know if you ever interact with any Muslim people, but they are generally the nicest people you ever will meet if you give them the chance and you put your blinders, you take your blinders off. So now we're interacting with those communities and they see Hardy Realty which other firms wouldn't go there to these, you know, mosques and all that. We're going there. Again, we're still going in Tulsa. We're still going in all these other places, and we're showing everyone that we're all together. So that's what I'm doing, and I'm instilling that in my agents, and that's what they're doing. And I think as we grow, more people are going to respect that, and it's going to knock down more barriers, right? Because I have Christians right now working with Muslim agents. Isn't that crazy? When you think about that, isn't that kind of far-fetched, right? Um, but they love them. And I love from the far looking back, like, wow, like, look at the change. I, I mean, it ain't a big change, but still, like, Christian and Muslim working together by a house like that, they could put their religious beliefs aside because they both see each other as people mm-hmm. versus, like, you're this, I'm that. And I, I just love that. Like, that to me is the most fulfilling thing ever. Forget the money, forget everything else. That's the best experiences for me. So one of the fine lines that we walk and one of the challenges is to see injustice where it occurs, but not to see injustice where it doesn't occur. So for instance, I'm Jewish and you don't have any Jewish people on your team. So I could look at your team and say, wow, Pedro must not like Jewish people because there aren't Jewish people on his team. You could look at my team and say, boy, they don't have any people of color. Well, we did and we don't right now. Um, And you could look at that and mistake what's in our heart. So I think one of the challenges that we all face is that there is injustice and it's important that we cure it. 
But it's also important that we don't place injustice where it doesn't exist. And that's really hard to do. And sometimes we're right and sometimes we're wrong. You're, you're right. So let me ask you this. When you hire somebody on your team, what do you look for? I already know the answer, but for our viewers. Um, I would say I look for a person that is honest and ethical. I look for somebody that is a good teammate. I look for somebody with knowledge. I look for somebody with passion and a good motor. I would say those are, I mean, there are other traits, but those are traits that come to mind. So we have the exact same traits, mm-hmm. right? When I say good person, overall, that's a good person, right? And I don't have any Jewish people. You don't have right now people of color, right? Are we both wrong? No, right? right. We're not wrong, right? We're not, we're not saying I'm going to hire an Asian person just because I want that person on my team. No, because God knows right now what I'm going through is because I made a bad hire out of desperation because I, I was caring too much for the people that hashtag. And I felt like I had to call, I had to give every single agent of color mm-hmm. an opportunity. And unfortunately, that's not the way to do it. Mm-hmm. And that was my desperation, mm-hmm. trying to promote something, trying to make someone that they're not, right? Trying to make a bad agent a good agent. You can't do it, right? Because you can't change that person's character. Character is what, who you are when no one's around, mm-hmm. right? And when you start seeing that real character, it's like, what did I do? Mm-hmm. Right. What did I do? And so again, we look for the same traits and the same qualities for anyone that we bring on to our businesses. And I think I love that you said, like, I'm not going to judge you, Pedro, mm-hmm. but don't judge me as well. Mm-hmm. And you're right about that because I do judge a lot of teams like, man, you have no color people. It's easy for me to think you don't like minorities if you have no color people. Right. But me knowing you and your whole team, which your whole team is phenomenal. I love them. I mean, <clears throat> most of the big teams are all white. I know personally most of the big teams too, and I know no nobody's prejudice on any of those teams. And I can say that 100% facts because I interact with most of the big people. You know, so it's like, wow, right? And you just blew my mind right now by saying, I don't have a Jewish person, and I'm like, I never thought it that way. So just know that you just enlightened me a little bit more. You know, um, but I do want to ask you this, especially because your viewers, right? My viewers be listening to this. What do you feel like as, okay, let me say this first. I literally have a process in my firm where we put a cap on income. Now, I don't cap your income. I put a cap on your lifestyle. So for me, I never want to make more than 200. I've seen agents make more than that. And I've seen them destroy their families. Not all. But I've seen what it did to some. I don't want that because my girls matter more to me than the money, right? So how do you feel about our industry as far as, like, why is making more better makes that person a better person than someone making less that's actually volunteering in the community, that's actually doing the work that's impactful versus making bigger checks? Like, how do you feel about that? Well, um, I'm probably the wrong guy to ask because, um, like my son is a, is a sports fan and follows all the leagues and in particular football. And from 
when he was a very little boy, we watch all the games together and he, he was a collector of all the knowledge, stats and everything. And as a little boy, he became enamored with the MVP, which is always hotly contested in this and that. And what gets no, no attention or too little attention, I should say, is the Walter Payton man of the year. So as a family, that's who we celebrated, who we thought was fantastic. And they would announce who it was on a specific team and, you know, who won from all of the teams. Um, so I would concur that we celebrate the wrong things. We tend to celebrate production. We tend to celebrate who's number one. Sometimes number one just has more people. doesn't necessarily mean they're better or kinder or more ethical um, or more instrumental in getting disadvantaged people up and running in the business. Um, so I, I would say, yes, um, if your question is, do we honor the wrong things? Absolutely. Um, I've never looked at somebody and said, I want to make sure that you don't make above X amount of dollars. For me, I work to make sure people have balance on our team and that they're spending enough time with their families and their friends and their clients and that and themselves. They're investing in themselves and that nothing is really um, out of balance to the extent that they and I can help work on that. So we don't really put financial parameters on. We put more, um, we encourage balance, we encourage taking care of yourself. Um, because if any of those diminish, if you're not spending time with your kids, if you're not spending time on yourself, on your clients, it's not sustainable. It's a disaster. It's a slow disaster, right? Because, man, I just, I've seen people, man, and you've probably seen people, you know what I'm talking about, where they, they have all this material stuff, but they're not happy. And me and my wife are selling our house um, next month, and we're going to go in an apartment. And uh, we're going to buy an Airbnb in Florida. And we're like, you know what? I don't care about the status quo. Like, funny side thing. Um, I was driving my wife crazy because I was thinking about a car to buy. But it wasn't the car that I wanted. It was a car that I think I should have as the broker owner of Hardy Realty. For people to respect me. When I pull up, they respect me, right? And I was going through all these different cars, BMW X6, you know, Seventy, eighty thousand dollar cars. I'm like, you know, it was really making me depressed. I'm test driving these cars to Range Rover, and I'm like, I'm feel depressed, and I'm just like, who am I? I'm the number one person. I think you know me that I don't care what people think, but now I care so much of what they think of my car. Hmm. And I'm like, well, if I drive, you know, we have the Jeep Wrangler, we have a Ford Fusion. If I drive the, like I said, drive the Wrangler, people look at me different than I drive the Fusion. It's just like, what car do I like driving? Well, I like driving the Fusion better. I feel like it's more luxury and it's fun to drive, right? But that in our business, I feel like we're put on a pinnacle. I, I feel like people look at us like we're politicians. We have to be perfect. You have to dress this way. You have to drive this type of car. You have to do this to get this type of business. Do you think, do you agree with that a little bit? Like, we have to have this perfect perception. I think that we place that on ourselves. And um, 
there's a book that I have anybody that I'm mentoring read called The Psychology of Money. And there was, there are a number of chapters and I think there's a, like a one page or two page chapter about cars. And, and I didn't make this up, but I think it's really important. And maybe it speaks to where you were at the moment where you were looking at that or where I was when I actually pulled the trigger on a car that I didn't need. And that is that we assume that at the heart of things, we assume that if we have something special like that, people will want to be us. And in reality, if you would have bought that BMW X6, they would have wanted the car. They don't want you. They don't want to be you. They want to be them with your car. <laughs> and the sooner that we realize that, the less pressure we put on ourselves to accumulate things that don't matter. And we spend more time accumulating the things that do matter, which are relationships over items. I love that. And I'm glad that we discussed that because when you think of Hardy Realty, this is our next phase for the summer is we're going to focus on, I have financial advisors come to our firm to meet with each agent because my thing is, Charlie said this to me too, which is so funny. Um, what is a rich life? What makes someone rich? And we have so many conversations. I'm like, man, Charlie, I got to make this much. Help me make this much so I could be happy and rich, right? Whatever. And he's like, a rich life is what you already have. If you take a step back and look, you have a rich life. Do you have a Lamborghini? No. Most people that have Lamborghinis don't drive it every day because it's uncomfortable to drive, right? And I'm like, wow. And then I started looking into it a little bit more. I'm like, Saturday mornings when I wake up with my family and I go to my wife because, you know, she's not an early bird and I am. And I just start messing with her nose and she's like, leave me alone. And then our kids jump into bed. There's no... More, there's nothing on earth more that makes me more happy than that moment. And that moment doesn't cost anything. Right. That moment doesn't, to your eyes, it's like you're just in bed with your family. But to me, it's like I'm literally in heaven right now. So me and my wife, now we're being in process debt-free and never going back to debt again, especially for people we don't even like or care about us, right? And that's what Hardy Realty is going to do. I'm going to start doing a lot of more budgeting workshops. We're going to do a lot of more financial advisors for the general public. I'm partnering up with a lot of different banks right now to help us understand what loans are for the community. So this summer, you're going to see a different push and image of Hardy Realty. That's going to be like, what are you doing to change the industry? You'll see what we're going to do. And I hope other people follow us to say, you know what, we should do that too. Because it doesn't cost nothing but time. We all have 24 hours. Put an hour workshop especially if the bigger firms get involved, that's how you change the industry because more people of color are going to purchase. But not just people of color. There's white people that need help too, right? There's white people that grew up in the hood. I know a lot of them. And those people need help. So it's not just a white and black thing. It's anybody that needs help. If we're lucky and blessed enough to have what we have, let's take a step back and help the next person. So that's how I'll, you know, I, I cried a lot this last week, not because of, not because of I'm hurt, just the stress. You know, real estate is 24-7, right? Just the stress. And the only time I cried before I got in real estate was when my uncle got, you know, when he passed away um, and one of my best friends got killed. It was the only two times I cried really in my life. And it was just like, why am I crying now? Like where I'm from, that's soft, Right. So I'm like, I need to promote more being a human. 
and the budgeting shops, having psychologists come and do a workshop with us that, hey, let's, you want to talk to psychologists about whatever, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what, what it is to be a man. What is a man? What makes somebody a tough guy, right? What about women? Equality for women. Why do women face these challenges? I don't want those challenges for my daughters. So with a couple of minutes that we have left, anything you want to touch on that we haven't touched on? Anything that if you hop in the car and drive away, you'll say, I wish we would have discussed this. Yeah. Actually, one thing, if you don't mind, I just want to give a few shout outs. That's okay. I want to give a shout out to my mother and father-in-law, Randy and Sue Madsen. Randy was the first guy, again, white guy, right, to say, I love you. Hmm. And he says it every single family. Like every time I see him, he gives me a hug and says, I love you. Even when me and my wife are going through our worst moments, still, I love you. I'm like, who's when I first said, it, I'm like, who the hell is this guy saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, without Randy and Sue, I wouldn't be a homeowner. Um, me and my wife, we filed bankruptcy because I did. I was I owned a shirt screening business. Tried to be an entrepreneur, didn't work out. It was all my fault. Moved in with my in laws. Taught me how to be a man. Mm-hmm. It's very hard, right? So I want to give them their flowers because they deserve it and with their with their love and guidance i want to try to show that to everyone else i want to give another shout out to my best friend mark young and um greg reed um their mark is the director of uwm of admissions at uw milwaukee he's a minority he's 32 years old that's a very good position for a 32 year old minority director of admissions um so He's been doing a lot to help the city as well. And I hope I hope one day you get to meet him, Rick, honestly. And then Greg Reed, he owns a trucking company in Atlanta. And it's all about equality. Got women truck drivers, nice. men truck drivers, right? Changing that norm. Like, I know it's not a big change, but, like, all three of us are slowly changing the narrative. So I just wanted to give, you know, last shout-out to my brother, JR, my brother's Robert. Um, they live in Milwaukee. They're doing big things too so for in their own sphere so i just want to say like anyone that's going through anything if you hear this podcast you know keep your head up and whatever you're doing take a step back because you're really blessed if you're breathing today you're blessed so that's what i wanted to say amen yes well an hour ago you shared that as a little boy the vision that got you through was to someday feel or say, here come the Hardys, and it was your family, and, and you've checked that box. You have a beautiful family, and when you walk in, people say, here come the Hardys. And what's exciting, and maybe wasn't part of the vision, is you're also building a business, um, and you are trying to right some of the injustices, right some of the wrongs that you see, and you're trying to make a difference, and you're not taking the easy path. So now... We can also say, here come the Hardys as it relates to your business. So it was a pleasure to spend time with you. As always, I like the honest dialogue. I like the fact that we can talk about things that aren't easy. We don't always solve things, but talking about them makes it more manageable, opens eyes, and allows us to realize that we can all make a difference. I love it. Thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate you, brother. So I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest, 
and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you.